Well, good morning, <laughs> everyone. Uh, I, Peter is uh, celebrating his uh, ninth wedding anniversary, and so we had uh, Remy and uh, Glory with us uh, this weekend, and then just as they were going to go off for a little stay in Oxnard on the beach where, you know, if Peter's a surfer, he likes to be. And uh, they uh, he, he got a call from Pastor Todd that he wasn't feeling well. He described it as uh, food poisoning. And uh, so it's like, you know, well, I don't know. What are we going to do? Am I going to go? And I just, uh, you know, boldly say, well, I'll do it. And, <laughs> you know. So I, I, I realize that I'm not Peter Dunn. I may look a youthful, vigorous 35 years of age, uh, but don't be mistaken. And as we were uh, driving over here this morning, you know, I thought about what I said and what, the fact that I'm here. And I just said to Rose, and I'm, I'm very blessed uh, to have a wife who would proudly describe herself as not a cheerleader. And so whenever I ask her something, I know I'm getting the truth instead of, you know, some pom-poms, you know. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> it's good. Uh, so I just said, driving over here, you know, I don't know why, why am I qualified to do this? You know, who am I to be here? And she says, well, you know, you've done this before at the, our church in Malibu, and, you know, you were an elder for 30 years, and I thought of my friend Simon, and thought, okay, I can, you know, you know, at the last minute, you know, as the understudy uh, sort of step in here. And, uh, and, and what was really the reason why I, I felt comfortable is there's something that's been on my heart for a long time in my mind about what we're experiencing, what we're all living through together. And um, it's at this place where we're taking on a new year and we're taking it on in great conflict and anxiety. And you know what, to be honest, a lot of us are angry. And we have a lot to be angry about. So one of the best places to get angry is with our politicians. And no matter what your political persuasion, you might recognize a lack of leadership. You might recognize hypocrisy, selfishness, division, incompetence, unkindness, and all in a time of real emergency. And we look at this and we are afraid at a lot of different levels of what's happening with our country, our states, our communities, and you know, some of this, this boils over to other places. And you know, the other thing that we might really want to recognize too is what we're angry about is that virus, COVID. The problem is being angry at a virus is it doesn't care. It doesn't react to us in any way. So we can kind of displace some of that anger on our leadership, on people, on other people, the people that we don't agree with. And 
we have suffered loss, fear, and really oppression. And we've all experienced this together. And it's a very, very difficult time. And unresolved anger is a very dangerous thing because it grows. It grows into hate, which is the opposite of love. And as we all know that God is love. And so our adversary, he wants us to be angry and learn to hate. This is the basis of spiritual warfare. And we have to ask ourselves as Christians, what are we to do with our anger? What would Jesus say? What would he tell us? And we know from Mark that he told us, when you pray, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Jesus tells us to pray for our enemies. And he tells us to forgive them. And this includes our leaders and those that have done us wrong. And we are asked to enter into this supernatural act of love known as forgiveness. And it doesn't really make sense to us as people who are trying to make it in this life that when someone has betrayed us, has victimized us, has lied about us, taken advantage of us, that somehow we have to find a way to forgive. You see, forgiveness is not logical. It is supernatural. It is a gift from God. It's similar to uh, empathy. My friend Simon, the solicitor, likes to define words just like me. And when we engage in empathy, it is the ability to understand and share the feelings of others. And on when we forgive or we feel uh, what it is that others feel, we often find out we're not as right as we thought we were. And I have a kind of timely example of that. I have a dear friend who has a Bible study. It's uh, a sort of a celebrate recovery uh, and meeting. And it's a bunch of guys that uh, come together and they engage, talk about a little scripture and, you know, they read the Bible together and then they share what's going on in their life. And um, it's a very conservative group of men. And there was one young man who spoke up recently about the fact that uh, he doesn't like to wear a mask in public. And he's very much opposed to that. And we see various examples of that in the Christian community. And this, is, this causes us conflict because, you know, as we're here today, 
You know, we're outside in the cold. You are the brave, the courageous, who are thinking of each other, but you're also here, and you're worshiping, and you're not doing it in a way in which you think is it's your absolute right to do it, but you're doing it in a way that is respectful of everyone else, and you're doing it so, so very well. And yet, there are those that don't agree, and they, when they're confronted with the situations like going into a store and being told that you have to wear a mask or in a restaurant, and he, this young friend was, was upset, he was angry, he felt it was very rude the way he was being treated. And so what I t- said to him is, you know, I know you don't agree with what a lot of other people believe, that we're being told by our government and the people in, in uh, positions of leadership, but do you understand that other people are afraid. They're afraid of catching this illness and they're afraid of distributing it to someone else. And even if you don't believe that they should be afraid, can you accept the fact that that is how they feel? And he got a hold of me after the meeting and he thanked me. He said, you know, I didn't really realize that it's not just a political decision or something being forced upon me, but there, there was actually an aspect to this where we have to take into consideration other people's feelings. And this is called kindness. And this is something that we see slipping away in our culture. And we as Christians are the ones that are called upon to express this, and one of the most uh, significant ways to do that is through forgiveness of others. Now, forgiveness does not mean we are weak. In fact, it's quite the contrary. You have to be very strong of character to forgive, and it doesn't mean also that we have to be eternally victimized. And I have a, a personal example of that. Um, from my own life that's fairly difficult, but it uh, is, is something that I was able to resolve through forgiveness, and it has to do with my father. My father was a kind man and was a good father for 20 years, and then one day when I was at college, he called me up and said, I'm leaving your mother, and I am... Uh, you know, I have somebody new, a secretary that he worked with, and the really unfortunate thing was is that this was a person who would not allow any rivals for his affection. And so he became embittered towards me and my sister and essentially rejected us for over 25 years. And in the course of that time period, I you know, had children, and my sister had children, and Peter and Rebecca. He may have saw them two times. 
He didn't come to Christmases. He didn't participate. He didn't give gifts. He didn't have anything to do with their birthdays or anything else. And people who knew my father would ask me or who got to know me and would learn of the situation, they would say to me, well, why don't you do something to try and resolve it? Why don't you reach out to him? And it was a very difficult thing for me to answer. But I knew that if I was to do that, it would cause him greater sorrow and conflict within the life that he was leading. So all that I could do was pray for him and forgive him in my prayers and thus release the anger that I had so that I didn't have to carry it around. And eventually I was allowed to see him on his deathbed and he was unable to speak, but he would hold my hand and just squeeze it. And there was a resolution with that. But you see, this is what forgiveness is. It is an act, a gift. It is known as grace. And it's not logical. It's supernatural. It is something that is only arrived at oftentimes through prayer. And the stated words of obedience to the scripture that transcends us into that place where God is. It is a work that I've seen, a gift, really a miracle, in many, many situations over the years. Uh, as many of you know, I'm a criminal defense attorney. I have been for 34 years, and it wasn't exactly what I thought I wanted to be when I started out. I wanted to be a, I wanted to win, first of all. And I, so I thought I wanted to be a prosecutor and a powerful man and a judge. And, uh, but I prayed about it because I needed a job real bad. And as it turned out, the first job that was open, like immediately, and paid the same, was being a deputy public defender. And I found that, you know, when I was representing a lot of young people and their parents would come and so forth, that uh, I had compassion which was probably when I made that prayer and said, not my will, but your will be done. God knew that about me because he put me in a place that I didn't think I was supposed to be, but was so very right for me. And I've been in court and I've seen, you know, all kinds of heinous and horrible crimes that are committed by people against other people. And on occasion, more often than you might think, I've seen the victims of these crimes forgive the person in court. And it's so extraordinary for those of us that are working the criminal justice system to see that because it's so incredible. How does that happen? How is it that people are able to do it? And I'll give you one of the example, the most extraordinary one that I know of is a man by the name of Santana Acuna. And Santana was a pastor. He's no longer with us, but 
he was a street pastor, and I, these are a lot, through my work, I got to know a lot of men like this who had rehabilitation homes, Christian rehabilitation homes for people who are suffering, that are in the criminal justice system, that are suffering from addiction, from everything, alcoholism, all the things that gets them into the system. And he also fed the homeless, and he was very, very respected within his community and his neighborhood. And, you know, I came out to, came to find out why, and it's because is that he was like the heaviest dude I had ever met. He was kind of what we call an OG, which is an original gangster. And he had been in prison many times, and he had done some of the most violent acts of anyone that I'd ever met. He was in robbery and you know, as a child, he was beaten, and by the time he was 16 years old, he was addicted to heroin. And he got out of prison again, and he started right back up. And one day, he was very drunk, and he went into a restaurant, and he was loud and boisterous. And in this restaurant, they were ha there was a wedding going on, and he was causing a problem, so the father of the bride came over and he, you know, asked him to be quiet. Well, he didn't care for that, and he was the meanest, toughest guy anywhere, and, he was, you know, this was all about respect on the street. And so he went in the bathroom, and the father came in later, and, you know, and a couple of the groomsmen, and, you know, and he, Santani, pulled out a lead pipe, and he beat the father of the bride so severely on that day that he was in the hospital for three days and then after three days he died. And Santana went to prison for this and he was able to allege some sort of imperfect self-defense and he got a manslaughter conviction in 11 years. And he got out after about eight years. But when he went in, he was terribly, terribly afraid. And so what he did is he said a prayer about the thing that he was afraid about. And that was as he was afraid of heroin withdrawal. The trauma and the enormous pain that he was going to experience going into prison. And so he cried out to God. He said, God, if you are there, save me from this. And then he fell asleep. And he woke up the next morning and he realized that he was hungry. And that was so unusual for someone suffering from withdrawals. And then it, as time went on, he realized that, yes, he had been saved from the trauma of those withdrawals. And so this time, he lived up to his commitment. And while he was in prison at San Quentin, he lived a Christian life. And one of the things in a, in a prior life of mine I did is I went to all of these prisons in California. And, and you'll be surprised to find out that there's probably more Christians behind bars in prison 
who are practicing their Christianity on the yard out there and with all their fellow inmates than there are here in Redondo Beach or Malibu on a percentage basis, I would tell you. And so he became one of those believers in Christ, in inside that dropped out of all the gang things that were going on and he was a man of great respect inside who had power, but he turned away from it because God had answered his prayer. Finally, he was released on parole. And he didn't know where to go or what to do, but there was a pastor who'd come to visit with him. And so he brought him back and he brought him into this men's home where he lives so that he could be on the outside and not start up again, just with what his life had been before. And they were living in this men's home and one night they went to this house and somebody in the local church who would feed them. And he gets into this house and he's sitting down to dinner and he looks and he sees there's this woman who's knitting and her daughter. And suddenly he realizes that that is the mother of the husband that he killed more than eight years before. And that was her daughter who was her wedding day. What was he to do? He walked slowly, finally, till he came before this woman. And he couldn't speak. He just got down on his knees in front of her. And he tried to ask for forgiveness somehow. But he couldn't speak. And finally she says to him, and she places his hand upon his head and says, Santana, Santana, don't you know that we forgave you long ago? And she lifted him up. And, you know, when I heard this story, I couldn't believe it. It couldn't, how can a human being who has lost so much, how is it that they can forgive like that? So I asked to meet her. And I went to a, convalescent home and she was in bed and he, Santana took me in and she sees him and she says oh mijo a term of endearment like her own son and I sat there as she held his hand and I interviewed her to try and being the lawyer I wanted to prove it was true so I took some pictures and I asked her and finally I asked her to tell the story to some extent and she didn't really want to say and she kept looking at Santana and finally she just told me she said Santana had been a very bad boy but that's not who he is now and this is a man who then went from there to save hundreds through his street ministry defeating the homeless to doing the very things that you as a congregation do. 
for the people who are less fortunate than you. You don't turn away from them. And you know, the, the greatest example of this type of forgiveness that we have is really given to us by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the God who created the universe and all that we know that is all-powerful, that performed all of those miracles that we knew, that we read about, and forgave the sinners, that he was betrayed by his friend, that he was lied about, that he was taken advantage of, and then publicly humiliated, spat upon, beaten, and tortured to death for us. And within the midst of his unspeakable agony, Luke tells us that he looked down upon the cross and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is our Lord and Savior. This forgiveness is the purest form of love. It is what we're called to do, and it is what we do when we meet here and when we go out into our community. Because where we're out, when we're out there, there's an awful lot of hurt, scared, angry people. And you are who Jesus has to show his love in being kind and forgiving to all they meet. Will you pray with me, please? Lord God, thank you. Thank you for the enormous sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ, who died for us, for our sins, so that we might be forgiven. That he is every bit as forgiven, as forgiving as the fine people and the... That, we've heard about and we are so so very grateful for your the sacrifice and lord we're grateful for the opportunity to show your love in this world we are grateful that you have chosen us to be your representative to forgive to be kind to be tolerating to be understanding of others and we say this in christ's name Amen.